I'm Katie Bennett-Stenton, National Marketing Lead for Energy Resources and Industrials with Deloitte in Australia. I recently returned from an exciting three months in our Chicago office where I put my kids into school and finalised their US citizenship. During that period, I was delighted to have the opportunity to spend time with a number of our global experts. Throughout the period, I interviewed a range of thought leaders and shared their thought-provoking, relevant and influential takeaways weekly. And I was really delighted that the content received over 10,000 views in 10 weeks. So with that in mind, I've decided to continue the series and look forward to sharing my conversations with influencers with you, the audience. Today, I'm speaking with Grant Hyde, a senior partner with Deloitte in Australia, who just celebrated a 35-year milestone with the firm on the 1st of November. That's included time in the UK and Europe. From a personal perspective, Grant's one of our most energetic and passionate partners who, in almost every conversation, prothelicises client relationships and the building of very deep relationships with with clients. Um, To that end, Grant's just been acknowledged um, on the global Deloitte scale with an award around his leadership in client care and incredible client service and authentic team leadership. Grant, welcome to the podcast. Delighted to talk to you today. Thank you, Katie, and, and welcome back to Australia. It's always always good to talk to you. Thank you. Grant, we've had many conversations over the last few years that have ranged uh, work, client care, your, your son's music pursuits and his band side, and we'll get into that in a little bit more detail later on. But jumping right in, I'm interested to to hear your perspectives about how life, how your life and career have improved as a result of being better connected with people across the globe. Well, as you mentioned in the intro, Katie, I'm, one of the things I'm passionate about is I'm really intellectually curious about human beings um, and about executives uh, as part of that um, that whole ecosystem. And and so when I travel the globe, I, I'm I'm really curious to talk to anyone really about their life and what what uh, what has got them to where they are and what they've learnt because uh, I, I find that um, everyone matters really and and uh, and if you're curious enough about a person, you can learn a lot about yourself and a lot about other people. And the thing I like about the globe is that it actually it forces you to flex your style. When you go when you when you go globally and you talk to people, and they've got cultural differences and nuances, which mean that communication is a little bit more challenging. So you have to be able to, to to flex your style, and you also have to put aside your preconceived thoughts and ideas uh, about about people and where they come from. And and one thing I've I've you know, I'm, I'm continually um, not surprised by, but really really pleasantly um, engaged and surprised by is is, is how when you talk to people about their town and their where, where they're from, they're very proud. No matter where they're from, they're they're very proud of that. And 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 talking to them about that, you learn so much about the person, about the city, and and then that they really open up when you start talking about where they come from. And that's what really I find that really inspiring. And I think you know if we go back to that adage of people like to work with people that that they like, uh, that's. I mean, that seems to me to be a real defining feature of the, the way that you work. You know, you're, you're one of 
the the few partners within the Deloitte Melbourne office who very routinely comes down and sits on the marketing floor because there's quite a bit of work that you do with our team and and you know to my mind and to some of my marketing colleagues minds that's another quite delightful defining feature talk to me talk me through that thanks Katie well I, I always um trying to always look at what other people are doing and then try and do something different. And I and I, and the difference has to be something that's meaningful. So I, I looked at where the people were that could really help me and help me achieve what I want to achieve. And I looked around the floors and I found and I found sitting on floors other than where the people were who could actually really help you was really pointless. So the people that really can enhance my capacity act in my role sit in on level three and they are the people like yourself who are really making a big difference to me and my life and and my clients so why wouldn't i sit with the people that are making a difference and and i don't understand why but i'm glad they don't the other partners don't do them but i'm (laughs) because i i I want to make sure that i get uh, um, an unfair amount of attention uh, for for what i'm trying to achieve and, and for my clients I, I assure you that um, <laughs> I, I hadn't prime ground for, for that for that answer or, or that conversation. Um, but I mean, I do think that's a really defining feature, Grant. And and you know that close close proximity does mean that you have more exposure to to the broader team and what we're doing. Um, and you know, conversely, for for me personally as well, some of my other colleagues with some that I'm doing is much easier when you're right there. And for me, because I'm so intellectually curious about what's going on, uh, I, I want to be the first ones to know. I want to be the first one to know if you're thinking about something and if you want to shape it and curate it in a certain way. And and I think it, this could really have an impact on my client. Being there and, and helping you shape it is the best thing for me and, and, and my clients. So why wouldn't, I want, why wouldn't I want to be at the forefront of any new ideas that are coming out of your group? That's where all the new ideas come from that help my clients. So why wouldn't I be first to know? And if I can be the first to the market with them, and help shape the idea and, and find that it's successful so they can be used by other people, that's great too. Mm. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that I think you've really nicely described the, the, the way that I like to work in terms of doing unconventional, different things and completely within reason ignoring the status quo. Grant, that that leads me to the conversation that I was really keen to have with you about the, the global award and global acknowledgement that you've just received in terms of the deep way that you think about clients and uh, and I mean I see that as a really defining feature about the way that you work you know there there there's one client in particular that I'm thinking of in the last couple of years where you with a couple of other partners have led some really unconventional approaches in terms of helping him to really uh, pursue a goal that is very central to to his being and to to the way that he defines himself and the way that he works and the way that he judges success. Uh, you know, without necessarily getting into any details, naming clients or, or talking in that sense. Talk talk to us in a bit more detail about well, I mean, about that award, but but how you work with clients and that acknowledgement. Yeah, thanks. Well, I, I've had um, periods when I've been less successful uh, and, and I was curious. I, I went through a period where a few years ago where we had um, pitched uh, for about 55 um, different projects and we'd won about 28 and lost 27 and, and that was about a 50% hit rate. And 
And I thought in the role, the new role I had, uh, I should be winning 100%. I couldn't understand why I didn't understand the drivers that would lead me to 100%. And that really concerned me because how can I lead a team that was going to be highly successful if I didn't understand those drivers myself? So I went back to over those 55 uh, bids I put in over 18 months and I went back to the people that I trusted in those the two organisations. So there's 55 bids over, over two organisations, 28 wins across the two organisations. And I went back to those people I trusted and asked them why we won and why we lost. And I think it's the important thing and I think you had a question you're going to ask me around what, what matters winning or losing. Where do you get your most, do you get more from success or failure? Yeah. I, it's both. You really need to understand both. Uh, and that's where I think the difference is where people don't understand. People don't take enough time understanding why they won and they don't and they bury the dead very quickly. They don't want to look at the entrails of the loss and why they lost. They just it's too embarrassing sometimes and too painful to and, and too confronting to, to actually do. Yeah. So I went back and, and, and talked to those people and they weren't the people from procurement or people that um, were who give you the generally ring you up and tell you you've lost. They're the people that I trusted. Mm-hmm. And they went and made inquiries themselves to people in the room where the decision was made. And I came up with three drivers for success. And they are the ones that have stuck with me ever since. And in, in the last six months, when I've uh, looked at my win rates, I look at my win and loss rates, I've lifted that rate from 50% to over 90% in both the major accounts. And which, wow. when, the, when the average for the firm is 35%, we're winning over 90%. And I know those losses. And I've, in one, we've won 45 and lost three. Mm-hmm. On another count, we won 76 and lost seven. And I know intimately the losses. Okay. And I know that we shouldn't have bid, but you do have to lose occasionally to show people why the three things I'm going to talk to you about matter. Mm-hmm. So the three drivers for success was you have to, the first one is you have to have deeply personal relationships with the decision makers. Yeah. And the only way you know that is if someone is coaching you. If someone's not coaching you through the bid, then you know that you don't have a deeply personal relationship with a key decision maker in the process. Secondly, you have to have a truly differentiated proposition that matters to the client. And thirdly, you have to have evidence that you've done it before so that the client can go and talk to someone. When I say evidence, it's not a random client it's someone in that organization who will vouch for us and say we've done a great job you need someone like that in the organization so you need to be able to point when they do referees yes. the evidence has to go back to a human being who is going to within say that their organization. no within 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 yeah within the within within our evidence the, the ones that we've done this for before yeah. other clients yeah. someone in that client that other client has to be able to be able to pick up the phone and talk to someone mm-hmm. and vouch for, for, for myself uh, okay. and for the organisation. If you have those three things, they were the three things. You need all three things to win. Okay. If you have a deeply personal relationship but you've got nothing to offer, you're not going to win. Mm-hmm. You have to have something that's truly different and you have to have evidence. And price doesn't matter. I've gone back and, 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 and price never matters. It's a factor. It's not a winning factor. It's just a factor you have to come to a price. But you have those other three, then then you talk about price. It's not going to define whether you win or lose. If someone says if someone says to me on any of my bids that we lost on price, I know they're lying. Someone's lied to them. Yeah. And I'll go back, and I'll go to the person I trust in that organisation, mm-hmm. and I find out it wasn't about price. We we're never going to win. We we're never yeah. going to win. Yeah. 
So they're the three things. And then I was, what I was particularly curious about was which of those factors are most important. And so when I, when I asked that question, what I found was they went, uh, they went, back, to, they went back to the meetings where the, where the, where the decision was made yeah. and they found out where the other two factors were evident yeah. but we didn't have the relationship we still lost. Okay. So we might have had a truly differentiated proposition and there's evidence that we'd done it before but yeah. no one knew us in the room so no one trusted that okay. we could deliver. We still lost. So to me, that was the defining factor because that, what that meant was that relationships were over 50% of every decision. So in my role, the key thing, the only thing that matters to me when I wake up in the morning is relationships because that is the defining factor in success. So after that, I, my, the, the exam question then has to be, how do you go from zero relationship to advocacy yes. in the shortest period of time? That is the, that is the exam question. And that's the first exam question. The second exam question is, how do you stay there? Because mm-hmm. you can get there, you can. but then it can drop off. And I've seen it drop off okay. because people aren't intellectually curious about humans and they, they do one thing really well and then they don't sustain it so it doesn't look authentic. So and what's, what's, the, what's the secret sauce on that front? So the secret sauce is you have to, if you really are interested in a person, mm you be tracking that person and looking for moments that matter to them during their journey in that client. So you're checking in with them on a regular basis and you're asking questions about themselves, about things that have happened and, and trying to work. And, and from that, you're offering things that help them personally in their journey. And it may be they're going for a job interview for another job in the organisation, mm-hmm. so we help them. We do a we help them with the interview preparation or whatever. We, sure. if if there if there's other things going on that um that that we can help them with at various stages, we 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 do that as well. So there's a number of interventional things we can do to help them. But yeah. the the fact is, you actually you're not out to help the organisation. You're out to help them personally become better versions of themselves, mm-hmm. and trying to find things that enhance their capacity act and their teams. And that's that. I find that's defining. That is sticky, and that is stuff that um, they really do value. Sure. And and that that if you do that authentically, that that makes a difference. I love it, Gran. And I think we might um, we might I might hit you up for another podcast at some point <laughs> in the future where we just talk about client relationships. I, I there's a lot that you do on this front that I think is um, is incredibly defining. Changing tact a little, what advice would you give to your ten year old self? Yeah, well, I, in my life, I've I've had a number of um, setbacks, some major, some less uh, major, but um, very defining. And I, th- I think, and I think uh, when I look back uh, and I and I unpack the things that worked and things that haven't, the first thing I'd say is there are three things I'd, I'd advise, advise I'd, I would advise my ten year old self. The firstly, it's it's it really is quite pointless uh, trying to overcome and focus on your weaknesses uh, to the extent to the exclusion of your strengths. You are much better focusing on things that you're really good at and making them better. Mm-hmm. If you become a better version of yourself, focusing focusing on those and making sure that that they become even stronger yeah. and more defining for you as a person uh, will 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 shine through. Mm-hmm. And you know me well enough. You know I've got weaknesses, yep. um, but if I focus on my strengths, the things that then then that that becomes more of a defining yep. thing when people look at when they think about me as a person. 
Second thing, and I waste a lot of time on my weaknesses, and, and there's only so much you can do on your weaknesses. You really do need to focus on what you really enjoy and what you're passionate about. So second thing is is focus on the megatrends. And so often, and I, I've, I've, um, I've picked, since I really um, started focusing on this, and since in the last 20 years I've picked every major megatrend or issue going on that's affected um, the stock markets and, and things around the world, including the... Trump administration getting on in in, in the, the US and and, and I, I don't I don't have personal biases towards one I just say things I, I can see things yeah. are going to happen and and a lot of people just don't want them to happen I just say whether you want them or not there there's overwhelming evidence that something's going to happen you might as well face into it that's what I say yeah. and 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 adjust your world and pivot to 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 that that reality mm-hmm. and and I say there's a there's a maxim that I I, I use where you don't have to go right up to the wall to see the writing. You can see it from a distance. And the, the people that see it from a distance are the ones who win, yeah. not the ones who get smacked in the face by the wall coming towards them. And and so there's only one mega trend I didn't fix, and that's because I didn't I didn't um, I refused like everyone else at the time to to believe this would happen because it what because it was going to be so detrimental to me. And that was the the GFC. Yeah. Um, the other ones I've all picked, uh, you know, the, the latest decrease in the stock market by ten percent. I've picked that, and 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 the the Trump the Trump thing. There's, there's the number of them over the years, the tech rack. I picked all those. It's it's when when you sort of forget and choose that choose to think that something's not it's too bad to think about that you you end up on the on the bad side of history. So choosing mega trends is really important and focusing on those mega trends and being able to see around see around corners and and it's not that hard to do it. It's just that people refuse to 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 look into these things. And the, and the other thing is that those mega trends are happening quicker, um, much quicker now than they used to. So some of these things like the the China U.S. trade war. We saw 18 months ago, and we started telling people about it, and 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 people just didn't believe it. And it's happened really quickly. I mean, these things are now happening with much much greater speed. The third thing is relationships. I mean, I, it's only belatedly in my life that I've actually realised that that everyone matters, and and relationships really do matter, and they are they are a difference. If you if you are intellectually curious about humans relationships really do matter and they, they're the ones that make decisions it's not corporations it's not some yeah. amorphous sort of organ thing that's out there that you don't know i mean it is it is a human being somewhere that's making that decision was there a was there a trend when you were 10 that that you picked that your classmates didn't yeah, I think I think that when I got to ten, I was living. I was uh, I was brought up on the edge of the desert in a, in a, um, in a small country town, which um, had uh, and it was the it's the biggest um, uh, cereal cropping area in Australia. And and um, and my father was he was a um, he was one of these cereal acquirers. He was almost like a corporate raider at the time, going around buying properties and stuff. And and I and I looked at it and I thought. There must be something different out there. This is this is a small town and stuff, and and I, I think I've got to get to a bigger city to see what's going on. And and even though I was I, I was doing quite well in this small town, I thought mm-hmm. I, I just want to see what this bigger world looks like. And I'm really curious to get there. And I may be a small fish in a big pond, but yeah. I want to see what that big pond looks like. And and yeah. um, and that's where things are going to happen. So I suppose the first mega trend was I just I've just I've just got to see what this. I, I had no mega trends. I just want to see what one of these <laughs> things look like. <laughs> Wanted to get a start start of a taste of the megatrends. Well, as someone who different side of the country, but who who was growing up in a small country town, I I share that philosophy. Grant, you've talked in a little bit of detail around some of the edges of this, but what would you say was the biggest turning point in your career? 
I, I, I think I think it uh, comes back to realizing that. Um, well, is I think one was realizing that I didn't, I wasn't really that happy doing what I was doing, and I thought there's a better thing, uh, there was something better I could be doing. I had a number of um, leadership roles, and 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 I don't know if you talk to various people, they probably thought that I was okay, but I I, I wasn't producing the best version of myself, and 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 realizing that 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 I had to be passionate about something that. Uh, that success was really based on passion and having a winning aspiration, and, and you need to have that. and And that's where I, I think, when I started focusing on on just coming up with trying to see through some of these things, like these, um, what what was the what was the thing behind success uh, in, in 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 bids and stuff, and and putting together joining dots where other people hadn't done it. Um, was doing it and doing it in a way that's authentic and 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 played to my strengths. That that was probably the the biggest. I say that was the biggest turning point. Well, and I mean some of the lessons that you talked about earlier, I think certainly support that. And I mean it's interesting to hear you talk about that as something that you were deeply curious and passionate about because, you know, a variety of firms across the world have processes for analyzing wins and losses as as they're bidding for stuff but I think if they are followed they can be very much a tick box exercise or going through the motions as distinct from from what you just outlined earlier yeah I think that's that, that's really right I mean people I mean people have a huge propensity to lie to themselves too um, if it suits them and you know if, if it's convenient mm-hmm. and then they you know the, the George Costanza from Seinfeld thing plays out a lot is where it's only a lie if you don't believe yourself and people mm. convince themselves that this is this is the truth because yeah. they choose parts of the conversation they want to believe in and they start um, saying that and then before you know it people who are less close to that they start believing that as well because they're not close to that conversation mm. so yeah so I think um yeah that 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 that's you know that 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 matters yeah yeah, yeah. No, I think I, I like your um, George Costanza analogy there. And uh, as a as a brief amusing aside, in some of the the full day executive workshop meetings we've we've run recently, um, we've we've when Grant hasn't been able to join us, so we've we've played a a Grant Hydeism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> bingo game where a number of uh, we we have a we have a traditional bingo scorecard with with you know between eight and twenty of Grant's favourite sayings. Uh, so he he certainly has quite a strong following in the firm and and is is very well recognised with with some of these true true passionate beliefs that he has held. Yeah, I don't. I don't get offended by that at all. I, I'm. I'm just disappointed that I haven't expanded the number of things I say. So I just what it, what it means. I go back to when I see those things go up. I I I, I realise I need to introduce more things to the vocabulary of um, of my fellow um, my fellow compatriots and uh, make 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 sure that they get the full spectrum of all my sayings. I don't not limited just a few. Well, where to play? How to win? Perhaps an aspiration for next year, huh, Grant? <laughs> Grant. Is there one thing that you would change about the business environment of today? Oh, I, I think I think um, it, it's it's looking at um, at opportunity rather than everyone's talking about disruption and and there's, there, it can be quite easy to look on the on the downside of disruption how you're going to um, uh, counter it and and I and I think people lose the ability to sometimes think about. Um, 
what what uh, what it takes to win and what to be successful. And I, I, I look on. Um, I, I take uh, uh, some uh, uh, some sense of um, direction from from Michael Rayner, who wrote the Three Rules, the book about Three Rules for Sustainable Success. And I think I just think that's so prevalent. I don't I don't think strategy is overly difficult or complex in what you have to do. It's complex to to execute, but you know, there, there are only three rules for sustainable, successful companies over a long period of time. And and this is based on uh, looking at database of thousands of companies over about, you know, I think about 30 years. And and it's, it's, it's making sure you, the first rule is better before cheaper. So focusing on how it can be better and different. They look at Apple and the iPhone compared to the other, its competitors, rather than focus on how you can reduce the price. You know, and, and secondly, it's revenue before cost. So how can you actually grow revenue streams inorganically and organically versus reduce cost? And you, you have to be cost competitive, but it's not going to help you win. Yeah. Um, you, you can't cost cut your way to success. Uh, and then the third rule is there are no other rules. So there are, there are only two rules. And, and, and what I find is, is, is um, when people are going through disruption, they, they, they tend to focus on... on Instead of better, they focus on cheaper because they can control price. Mm. They don't focus on growing revenues because that's risky. They yeah. they focus on reducing costs because that's within their remit and that's that's easy, that's controllable. But you have to take risks to succeed and, and you have to find new revenue growth options mm. and it's the ones who do that uh, are the ones that are successful. Well said. Grant, what might people not know about you? Yeah, right. So uh, there's a few things I suppose I've kept from people over time, but I, I think um, the the one. I mean, in my 30s, I, I had um, I developed chronic fatigue from working too hard. This is when I was in London. I was in London for six years, and I thought, you know, you could you could achieve as much as you like. You, you, you could do you could work every day, and you could you could do you could do um, you, you could produce outputs that would exceed any anyone if you did that. And and, uh, and what what I found is that that you, you end up just doing in hindsight, when I looked at that, was that was futile, and and there's only so much you can do, and the, and if you if you're not careful, you you're a victim of your success. The more things you do, yeah. the more people want you to do. Before you know it, if you're not delegating and having a, a team around you and building the infrastructure of a team, you'll you'll end up just burning out, and 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 that's what I did uh, in my early 30s, and and I and I'm I'm ever since, and I've been making sure as much as possible not to do that again i mean with varying degrees of success and you're close to me so you can see whether it's working or not but <laughs> but um i i really did realize that you, even though there are 24 hours in a day you can't work 24 hours in a day and you can't work every day and and that's not healthy for for yourself and stuff and, I, and i'd been brought up on a on, with with work ethic being a really strong component of my childhood and that you know work work really matters and 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 how you apply yourself and and I just took it to the nth degree and realized that that that's not what life is about and I think I changed a lot of my views I realized that I could die any time um, so what are you going how are you going to make an impact uh, while you're here um, how do you make things around you as good as possible for the people around you in the time that you're here uh, and that so I really just the first Thirty years, I had to unpack and say that maybe that doesn't work. <laughs> the stuff I'd learned, if you take it to the nth degree, doesn't work, and you have to rethink why why you're on earth and what are you trying to achieve, and and it does matter who's around you, and and you know, and I found I probably wasn't a great version of myself when I was going through this. Yeah. 
I I relate to that story very much. About four years ago, uh, got a virus that was very similar to chronic fatigue and basically went from, frankly, feeling like I was quite bulletproof, you know, was running half marathons very comfortably and really increasing my times, doing doing well at work and, and working really long hours as well as trying to fit in small children and, you know, relationship and friends and, and some good social stuff and um, eventually came undone and... and had to spend pretty much almost three months in bed and and completely had to revisit what it meant to be successful and how to be really successful in a corporate or professional environment without working all the hours in the world. Yeah, and I, I think, I, and I try to, um, I mean, you have different levels of stress and you see people do see different versions of yourself um, but I, I try and make sure I have fun and the people around me having fun because you know life's too short and, and you are trying to achieve something while you're here so you are trying to make an impact and make a yeah. difference so to do that is quite hard but at the same time if you're not having fun yeah. then it's, the whole thing's not worth it so I think I think that's where I recalibrated my whole thinking and said you know and, and also personal success isn't a straight line I thought it was a straight line and there are events, other events that you have to pivot towards uh, that you can't control, but you can if you see them coming, which is why I started focusing on megatrends. I realised there were things out there I was looking to, uh, things were happening around the world. I wasn't really focusing on them and I was being buffeted by them and I was being impacted by them. And I thought it was actually much more interesting to actually focus on those and see which ones would break and start talking about them and, and pivoting towards them rather than just hoping that wouldn't happen. And, and I, th- I found that was a much better way of of dealing with these events that you can't really control but but realizing you you can actually control the way you feel about them Mm. well and i think a hell of a lot more in uh i've just lost the word i was going to use empowering than than burying your head in the sand and and being a bit terrified that that they might impact you so grant that leads on quite nicely to another question uh what does Nirvana look like in your career? We've we've had lots of conversations over the years about um, about our children, and you know, I remember over over a team dinner a couple of years ago, you talking about the fact that you, you talk to the parents of daughters and they talk about how the year at school has been, and and they talk about the, the social setting and how they've how they've done in terms of their social connections. And father or parents of, of boys will, will talk more about academia or, or how they've done on a sporting front. Um, I'm, I'm slightly leading the witness here, but talk to me about what Nirvana looks like in your career. Yeah, I suppose, I mean, they, they talk about, uh, I mean, before we even come to this term, making an impact that matters. I mean, I, I, I try and make a difference, and we now call it an impact that matters, making an impact that matters. And, I, and I, I look at it from both a personal point of view. I look at I look at my children, and I, I probably talk too much about um, the things I do with my children to, to bore people. But, but it, it, you know, I'm always trying to help them in some way. You know, what, what can I do in month, some small way to, yeah. to make them better versions of themselves and make their life better than, than it could have been if it wasn't on this, on this earth? And and also um, also with with people I meet. I mean, I, 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 when I sit in a room with an executive, you know, I'm, I'm I'm really just trying to work out how I can help them to be better versions of themselves. And so, if you look at the end of the career, mm. I, I, the most pleasing thing to to me is when some of them, uh, some people in have said to me when I'm in some of these um, uh, discussions and 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 that I have with executives, and I ask them. 
the question comes up who's coaching or who's mentoring and stuff like that and and they say that you know that's me that I'm I'm the one they look to when I'm not really there they're uh, you know the the natural you could say probably the natural coach mm. or natural mentor given or the other things or in any fi- yeah. official capacity but they're, they're, they're really they, they, I, I've made a difference with some of the views I've given them um, which have really come from um, you know from the right place and and I always um, the, one, of the, one of the things that I, I that made a difference to me in terms of um, uh, advice I got in my career, um, which really made a big impact, uh, was a, a director who I admire said to me, "Grant, you've got to understand that people don't care what you know until they know that you care." Mm-hmm. In other words, unless your information is coming from a good place yeah. and you're actually genuinely interested in that person, other, uh, you know, other than trying to scare them so you can get revenue or something from them which is what a lot of the tactics yeah. are with selling. Yeah. It, it, unless they know that, they're not really going to um, take on board what you're saying. And so some of the advice I've been giving, I give people, I, I, I just try and make sure it's from the right place. I'm not trying to put myself in a better position from the advice I give, but I'm just hoping that it has some impact. And if people said to me at the end of their careers that, you know, that, that could point to certain times or moments that mattered to them in their career and, and and I'd said something or or had some impact that changed the way they thought about it and mm-hmm. and put them in a better place that that's what I would say is success and I think the same with my my children I mean and sometimes the you know you're giving advice that it's not palatable when people give me advice I don't find palatable I always say that feedback's a gift even yeah. if, even if it's not yeah. feedback you know, I don't know every day I'll get feedback and sometimes I don't want necessarily to take it on board but as, as I know it's if it's coming from the right place, then mm-hmm. then that's that's then I take it on board and and I try and act and and if I can have that impact on other people, then that's what that's when I get that feedback back to me. That's what I really like is when when people say I've had it made a difference to them. Yeah. Would you say you talked about chronic fatigue, but would you say that there are any other significant challenges that you've navigated in your career that you've drawn particular strength or insight from that you'd like to share? Yeah, I, I had a, a particularly traumatic moment when I was I, I, when I was a child. I was I saw myself sort of like every other Australian child or boy that I was going to play cricket for my country and play AFL football or some sport represent sport and and I was I was um, considered naturally gifted in in certain sports and and in a hometown where you're living on the edge of the desert and you got a small population, it's pretty easy to shine. Yeah. Um, so I took that away to boarding school and I still considered good at boarding school. I mean, I was at, at, in the school in this bigger environment, a bigger pond. I was still um, considered uh, a great athlete and, 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 and someone that may make it, may go somewhere. And that all came to a crushing end at 14 when I hit my back. I first of all broke my arm. Um, and then, and then when, that, uh, and I, when that recovered, uh, I then I, I broke it again. And then I, I um, went and reco- tried recover too quickly to play out the football season and I hurt my back um, and that and, and then I realized that that when I was in hospital that was um, the probably I had to do something different and and um, that's when I probably I looked at it and said well I probably have to start thinking about study and I mean I they're probably you know learning to read and write and stuff was really important mm. and and so that's when I um, 
I said, well, I better, I better start spending more time in my studies, and and that's that that made it, and that that was a big impact because suddenly I, I that that was the only thing that mattered to me. I said, okay. sport is not going to be it. Yeah. I, I have to, um, I have to find another way, and and I suppose then then getting through that really tough, that was a really dark period for me. Um, I realised you actually you can make a difference if you change your mind. You start thinking about you know a different way of doing things. You can actually, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be dark. You can you can you mm-hmm. can adjust and come out with a different a different outcome, which is equally good, but it's in a different yeah. way. I think mindset is such a phenomenally important part in life. I took my 10-year-old daughter to see Malala Yousafzai on Tuesday night talking about uh, you know, being shot in the face by the Taliban and moving, well, initially to, to Birmingham in the UK for, to be at hospital. And, and she was talking about when she, after she came out of an induced coma, she was finally able to call her parents and speak to her father and um, having no sense of how serious her injuries were asked her father who was still in Pakistan to to bring her physics books because she had um, she had a test coming up and, and really needed to focus and I mean I was quite fascinated by hearing these stories from someone who did not have the comfortable cushy upbringing that that I am familiar with and and sort of sitting and poking my 10 year old daughter and and having her listen to the very strong message about how important education is and you know she was talking about the fact that 130 million girls across the world at the moment don't have access to education um and i that i've certainly come away from from that conversation thinking quite differently about some of the elements of how i spend some of my you know downtime when i'm not working and and thinking that from a sort of philanthropic perspective that's something i'd like to contribute to a little bit yeah, and I, th- I think it um, comes to I think I think it goes back to almost your first question. I, I find where you know you, you, what, what how does connecting people across the globe make a difference? And and I, I remember talking to someone who came from um, the Soviet Union, and and I was really curious about what was it like living in Moscow um, during during that period. And and from a Western perspective, we had we had certain views that it must have been terrible. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's a terrible life in Moscow. Or and I'd sort of had some insight into that. I'd been into East Berlin, and I'd I'd seen a f- I'd seen parts of it, but um, the the way that she she talked about her childhood, and and the beliefs that she had, and what she was told really is quite powerful how it affects your mind because they were told that um, that in Moscow this is this is the best of the world it doesn't get better than this, and mm-hmm. and the rest of the world is is worse. So whatever you're thinking about today, and if you think this is tough, the rest of the world is. Especially the West is tougher, and they're they're living in a lot worse conditions to, than yourself. Yeah. So they so she grew up in a in a mindset that she was the happiest. She was really happy because she was living in a place where everyone was worse off. So she was lucky. She was privileged mm-hmm. to live in Moscow. So it just shows you the the just the how you can shape your mind by what you're told and what you think. Yeah. You know, and 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 I thought, wow, that's that that's really powerful. That's really powerful. That reminds me of some time I spent in um, in Vietnam a few years ago. I went up to the Coochie Tunnels and 
learned quite a bit about what they call the American War and mm. having grown up in the West and, and, you know, spent some time in in the US as well as Australia when I was young, I had this very strong view uh, that that we, the Western world, were, were more sophisticated than... Um, than perhaps the Vietnamese were when when fighting in in the war and my view was entirely changed by that when I went and spent some time there and looked at the incredibly amazing and sophisticated tunnels that they had built mm-hmm. to you know to escape the um, mm-hmm. the the westerners who who were coming into their country and it that was a real awakening for me just to to look much beyond what what I thought was a very accepted view that that there can be you know starkly opposite ones that that are just as firmly held and and bear a lot of weight as well. Mm-hmm. Changing tack to some something much more light, Grant. Uh, I'd like to talk music now. Now, in addition to developing deep relationships with clients, this is another great passion of yours. Uh, we've we've spent lots of time over the years talking about your your son's various um, increasing music success from the days when you were <laughs> you were a um, a silent <laughs> roadie and not permitted to talk when when um, helping him with some of his various gigs to a much well, a much more prolific, very strong, very successful career. What's your favourite song and why, Grant? Yeah, I'd have to um, be consistent with the with the theme that I've I've um, <laughs> perpetrated over these years, and so and so I had to be, I had to be consistent. My support of my son. I mean, there's a, I, I like uh, the, the good thing is about having a, a son that's involved so deeply in music is it actually broadens my mind to sure. music and. And the amount, the type, the amount of stuff I, li- the amount of the number of artists and the type of music I listen to is much broader and richer um, by by virtue of him being in the house and singing and, and introducing different different types of music and the type you know, listening to different radio stations. But the one the one I, I I really do like and I hope does get some airplay. Uh, it hasn't been released yet. Is is uh, a song called Her Touch, which. Um, my son uh, did, and he, he did a great video. Um, we got these people from from uh, Scandinavia to put a video together. And I think it's just a great video. I really like he, he, the the person he got to sing it was from Chicago, um, and and uh, it's it's just it's just a great track. And I just hope that one day it gets released. Uh, he hasn't he has he's now doing live gigs. It hasn't come into his repertoire for live gigs, um, so it's not. It, it, must have been curated out because it's not it doesn't resonate with a live audience or something okay. uh it has it's not indie pop enough to be in that sort of more pop than indie pop but it's on that it's on the cusp of that sort of genre but um yeah I, that that's the one i i really like I and mean, there's a lot of music i like there's a lot of great i mean i i i like amy shark and and i like um angus and julie stone and there's there's um there's uh the one um Tia Costello, someone I, I listen to at the moment. I think that's you know, there's a lot of great Australian artists. There's just so many great Australian artists, and and so much talent. And, and I'm always trying to find talent for my son to sing with my son. So that's that's when I'm out listening. I'm I'm listening with a purpose to to find someone that that he can hook up with and, and do a track with. So, but that but his 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 track who touched. So I hope I hope for the person in Chicago, the singer that that it gets released and, and, and he yeah. gets success out as well. And you haven't mentioned his band name, Grant. You should give him a plug. 
Yeah, thanks. So side S Y D E mash up of my name and 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 his his friend's name uh, Mitch Stevens. So Mitch Stevens and Will Hyde and the the, the band side and they're they're playing a gig in Margaret River, I think this um this this uh, Christmas New Year, this New Year and um and I hope uh, well I'm a director of his company, so I've I've got to hope he succeeds because the <laughs> the more he succeeds, the less fun he needs for me. <laughs> Awesome, thank you. And Grant, in closing, do you have any career advice for listeners out there? I, I, I think my, my, my career advice would go back to, it has to be consistent with what I'd say to my 10-year-old self. And, and, and it's got to be around focusing on your strengths. You know, you, everyone's got strengths. Just work out what they are. Spend enough time working out what you're really good at. And and uh, that that that's that's important, and and I think those mega trends don't view the world. The world has got a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise in the news. Try and look through the noise to what are the real things that may make a difference to what you're doing, and where you may want to be, and try and work out what what you want to be. Uh, and and relationships do matter. And I say this to them: if you look in the music world, uh, every it's all based on one percenters in the yeah. music world. You can't be out by more than one percent. You have to nail the the relationship. So, so uh, that that's important. And 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 I I think um, just just uh, focusing on success really is based around three things. Um, it's really based around you know um, having something to believe in, someone to believe in, someone believes in yourself. Yeah. For those three things come together, get success. Grant, really enjoyable conversation today. Lots of great tips. Thank you very much for your time. No problem. Thank you.